Well, let's, let's see if we can find here some source of hope uh, from this text. If you look at the text itself, um, there is uh, here a, a verse 16. You see verse 16 there? It says, making the most of your time because what? The days are evil. Because the days are evil. And honestly, after Tuesday, I've been praying, prayed for days about um, which text to handle. And actually, we were planning, I was planning on preaching on this text uh, because it's in our series on public worship. And that was what we were planning to do. But I just kept praying and saying, Lord, what would give us some sense of uh, direction or hope for our society? And um, really didn't come to any conclusion except back to this text. And I think it does really speak to not just public worship, and we'll get to that next Sunday as we look at verse 19 in detail next Sunday. But it really helps us understand how to live life in a world that is evil. In our present evil age, these days are evil. And, and so, like, here's, this is a Christian assembly. So let's look at this not as the world looks at it, but, but as, as those whose eyes have been opened and hearts have been opened. Um, there, there is in our society a downward trend toward violence and evil. We see that across the pages all over your screens. It's just happening. Um, even here in New York, right, the, the, the first quarter... Uh, 300 shootings in our first quarter. Um, last month, this past month, two shootings to, to death in our subway system. Right, Last Sunday at this time on the Q train, uh, someone was shot. They had That person who shot them had been arrested several times on, on gun charges. Um, so, so our society, like this present evil age, this is not an exception. We, we see this all over. Not just our city, all over. And it hits harder when it's to children in a small town community, but it is all over our cities. And so we find a society that is, I would say, going past the guardrails of God's common grace. A society that's going past ramming through the guardrails of God's common grace. You have a few of these uh, institutions and influences that God places on a society that help hold it back. But sometimes societies plow right through them. And I think we're finding that in our society. You have the institution of family that God developed right at the beginning pages of history, and that helps children to learn right and wrong and to be respectful to others. This is right from the beginning pages of your Bible. This is an institution that God developed to help society stay intact. A loving mom, a loving dad that helped nourish these kids. But like from the first family, it wrecked, didn't it? Because of the fall. Who was the first children? You had a murderer and one who was guilty or one who was murdered, right? And so from the beginning, a broken society going its own way breaks these guardrails that God gives. 
Genesis 9, you fast forward a little bit and you find the second institution. Anyone want to take a stab at what that is? Another institution that God gives in Genesis 9. Pastor Andrew. Government, right. Government. Um, God says there in Genesis 9, whoever sheds blood by man, their blood shall be shed. So there's this, this idea that God is not the only avenger of evil. And so in Romans 13, uh, Paul even describes Rome, this wicked government, as being a God-ordained institution to help because those who would do evil recognize that I'm going to be penalized if I continue in this evil. And so there actually is family and government. But in both of those cases, we find in our society a twisting, a brokenness where people are not serving the public in their governmental position, but, but just do, do this as a job to sometimes line their own pockets. And so we find in our society, even this government institution, not all politicians, right? but even in this government, we have some Daniels, some Josephs. Um, but even in our government, it is twisted to take advantage of citizens, right? And so we find this on both, both sides of the aisle. Influences, law, the law of God, your Bible, but especially, I would say, Mosaic law. God gave this to society, to the Jewish people, but to all of us, to have this sense of moral decency. What is right and what is wrong? We have decided as a society to say, listen, don't you dare tell me what's right and wrong. I say what's right and wrong based on the way I want to live and my standard of living. And so we have thrown, in fact, we have said that it is wrong to speak of a law of God in the public sector as if that was something that is wrong. To say right and wrong is wrong. That is wrong. <laughs> okay, so this is what, these are the guardrails. And for at least 50 years, our society has plowed through these guardrails. And so we're seeing a society now going down the cliff. And then another one that God uses law to, to activate our human conscience. This is another guardrail that God gives to us. It's the law written on the heart that, that from a child they say, no, I, I should not have taken that. There is that sense of right and wrong that, that right, there is a flesh that desires to do because we're all broken from birth. Uh, we are fallen but there is a conscience that says, I should not take advantage. But this is what our world is doing. You do whatever you want. Don't listen to that conscience. You be you. And if that means, and it just throws the blurry lines everywhere. And so even the conscience we see is seared. It's common for consciences to be seared. And so we have, actually you say, well, we're not teaching people to do violent things. You, watch, you look at just about any video game, right? Uh, and you are, they're teaching children to be violent. They're teaching children to be violent, okay? And so this idea of conscience is just thrown out the window. And, and these are guardrails. So is there, is there another, like, so, so I, I think what we're trying to do, and this is what people are saying, these are the solutions. 
And I would say there is some grace in these solutions that God has actually ordained. And so we can go to government. We can try to instill family values. We can talk about the law generally and say this is right and this is wrong. We can appeal to people's conscience. This is all still viable. But there's something deeper that is the solution for our society. And this is the gospel. This is the gospel. And this is where this text takes us. And so I'll put it this way, the way the text does. Um, Okay. Yeah, let me me read this. Let me just go back. This is what the Bible says will happen. And you see it in the pages of history. All societies go this way. But, But especially at the end of times. 2 Timothy 3. Realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. Why? And then this is just reading who we are. Men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal. You see how this lack of self-control, throwing off the family, disobedience, parents, it, it ends up in a brutality. Brutal. Has reference to being, un, the only time it's used in the Bible, being untamed, like a wild animal. And so when we see brutality, like we see brutality on the streets, this is what the Bible's talking about. Treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And yet there's this form of godliness. You know, I'm a decent person. Oh, they've denied its power. And so we see a world that has gone this way. If you're taking notes, you could write down three others. We won't read each of these, but 1 Timothy 4.1, 2 Peter 3.3, 3, 2 Timothy 4.3 talks about all of this in the end times. And so when we see a, a community bent on violence, a society bent on violence, we're recognizing this is what happens to a society that throws aside God's laws, God's desires, God's grace, that twists its conscience, that misuses its government, that overturns family. It actually enacts what another text says there is a doctrines of demons. And so we find a society that's following spiritual impulses that are demonic. And what we saw Tuesday could only be described that way. There's a demonic, satanic influence here. So what is the response? The response of the unclean spirit should be the clean spirit, God's spirit. And so our society is saying, what is the answer? Blank control. Maybe spirit control, I'm sorry, mind control, right? Educate people mentally so the mentally ill do not hurt. Gun control, right? Take care of the weapons so the weapons don't hurt. But, but the Bible's solution is this, spirit control. A, a spiritual awakening that changes people from the inside. And that's where our text goes. And it's a much stronger and helpful control. Okay, so let's jump into this. We find the reason to walk wise and then the way to walk wise. And, and uh, the, the way is what we're getting at, okay? So the reason to walk wise is because, verse 15, Therefore be careful how you walk, not as in wise men, but as wise, because what? The days are evil. 
And so today is an evil day. We need to make sure that we are careful to walk wisely. You and I need to be walking in wisdom. This walk is a theme in Ephesians. And, and uh, maybe you have notes from, from uh, this is a series we did seven years ago. So you probably don't, but I do in my Bible. Um, you have all these therefores in Ephesians 4 through 6 that build on the doctrine about who we are in Ephesians 1 through 3. Because of who you are in Christ, all that he's given to us in the gospel, we are to walk a certain way, right? To, to, to walk in light. I'm sorry, ver, chapter 4, verse 1 is walk in unity. Chapter 4, verse 17, walk in holiness. Chapter 5, verse 1, walk in love. And this is the last one. It goes through the rest of the book. Therefore, walk in wisdom. Therefore, be careful how you walk to walk in wisdom. Right? The idea is there's precarious times. This is unsteady. You're walking on a cliff. There's a precipice on both sides of you. And actually, the word is to look. Be cautious. Look carefully at where you walk. A wise walk looks at where it's going. Watch the way you walk. Watch what you do, what you say. Watch what you watch. The world around us is morally corrupt. There's a deadening, decaying, numbing effect. And it will, it will war against our soul. So we have to be, be watching the way we walk because the days are evil. We'll be salt and light as we do so. So, how can I do that? So the reason to walk is the days are evil. Well, let's look at the way to do this. The way to walk wise, and he's going to give three ways that you are to walk wise. We leave today Think, how can I make a difference in an evil age by walking wise? Well, what would that look like? What would a wise walk look like? The first one is making the most of your time. Do not walk as unwise, but walk as wise, first of all, by making the most of your time. The way to walk wisely is that you spend your time wisely. We can spend our time frivolously. Like we had a million hours a day. Wasteful spending. I don't know if you have a hard time with a budget. Some people's budget is, is just huge, right? Um, and they may be a little frivolous. This is a car I bought last week. No, I didn't. But Jay Leno, Jerry Seinfeld... We, we would say their car collections are over the top. 150, 180 cars, like luxury cars. How in the world does your budget find that? Like this just, come on, it's a little over the top. It's a little wasteful. But their income is larger than ours. I'm not saying it's excusable. But people spending based on income and you just... But some people just frivolously spend so much on things that are unnecessary. We all have the same amount of time, right? And so we can judge someone who spends frivolously of money 
And you say, well, no matter what income, that's just too much. But we all have the same amount of time. And this is the way to walk wisely, by spending that time wisely. And the word, as you may know, is redeeming. So the idea is, you are going to spend all your moments today. You're going to spend it all of them. And you'll be tempted to waste some. And so you've got to buy those back from wasteful spending and use them on wise spending. You can either waste your life or you can spend it wisely. And those who spend wisely will be careful to do as the next text says, the next phrase, understand what the will of the Lord is. Okay, so I'm going to spend my time wisely. Number one, the way to walk wise, I'm making the most of my time. I'm not frivolously expending it on just anything. I'm being careful. Well, what did that look like? And these two are parallel to ideas 16 and 17. So then don't be foolish. All right, so be wise, spend your time wisely. Don't be foolish. So how, how am I going to do this with my time? You have to do this. You have to understand what the will of the Lord is. That's helpful. I need to understand what God's desires are in everything. Um, don't be foolish. Understand what the will of the Lord is. Right? Our lives are all changed. In fact, if you have your Bible there, look at Ephesians 4. He talks about how we change. Verse 7 and following Actually, 17, but all of this is about the new life. Verse 17, so this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as Gentiles or those who are non-Christian in the futility of their mind being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality For the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. But you did not learn Christ in this way. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him. Just as the truth is in Jesus. That in reference to the former manner of life. You lay aside the old self. And then you put on the new self. Right. So this this was the way you used to live. Just living on your flesh. The desires of your flesh. That was the old man spending all of your time on the old way. This is the new kingdom. Spend your days for God and his kingdom. Well, how would that, what would that look like? Verse 17, by understanding what the will of the Lord is. I need to make sure I know what God's desires are. All right, so do you ever think this way? You know, what, what does God want? You ever talk to him about that when making a decision? Right? That's what this is. This is the way of wisdom. The way of the wisdom is pausing and saying, wait a second, but what, what does God want me to do? Especially over big decisions, but really throughout the day. Right? What would you think of a spouse that never consulted her husband or his wife about anything? Just lived life every day. You know, this dude's out getting dinner for himself. Wait a second, did you, did you talk to your wife? Right, and then he's going to a movie. Did you, and, and he comes back and, oh, I didn't tell you that. 
Right? Didn't you think I, I would want to go? Didn't you think I want to eat? Right? This would be a dysfunctional marriage. Right? There, there's an even closer relationship that you have th- than your spouse. And that's your God. Right? Do you ever talk to him about what he wants? This is the closest relationship you'll ever have. Lord, what, what do you want me to do today? This is wisdom. This is what this looks like. This is what a wise walk is all about. Because to be honest, there are times where it's totally different for you than it is for me. Right? This is not just going off into a monastery and med- meditating and memorizing scripture. That's not what this is talking about. This is saying, Lord, I want to change this oil to your glory. Lord, what do you want me to do? It may mean take a nap. right? If you're an air traffic controller, it might mean you better get eight hours of sleep tonight because you've got to make sure these planes don't run into each other. That's God's will for you. And, and, and it may be, right, I just talked to a young uh, dad who said, I said, is your baby sleeping at night? He's like, oh, it's doing really great. Every once in a while, I'll get three hours of sleep straight and let it sleep. It's like, whoa, that's wrong. Right? So that's an entirely different God's will. The question is, are you asking him? Are you asking him? Are you talking to the Lord? And so it may be the best thing for you to do to watch a great movie with your family at night. You recognize that? Do it to the glory of God. Or it might be God's will for you to take two days to fast and pray and read his word. You understand that the question is, God, what do you want me to do today? All right, I think you understand. Um, This takes wisdom, it takes life skill, but it takes asking, asking God. And then the third one, the the biggest one, the most important one, um, this is the third one that will provide a change in our society yes as we walk wisely but being filled with god's spirit being filled with god's spirit this is how people change this is how you change this is how i change and that is how society changed verse 18 do not get drunk with wine all right here we are memorial day picnic do not get drunk with wine for that is dissipation but be filled with the spirit The topic is not talking about alcohol. That's not the primary topic here. But that is an illustration of what he's referring to. And so one of these days, we'll get into that topic. Uh, But he just says, listen, you shouldn't get drunk. Okay, Don't let alcohol impair your judgment. right? Because a lot of people go go down really bad pathway in life because of that. Um, That's dissipation. That's excess. That's excessive. Uh, So don't get drunk with wine. The command is be filled with the Spirit. So this is the positive command that we're to take from this. And he's using alcohol as an illustration. Uh, It's not saying that those who are filled with the Spirit are going to stagger around without control. That would be a horrible way to look at this passage. In fact, the fruit of the Spirit, one of them is what? Self-control. Okay, We're going to look at what the filling of the Spirit is in just a moment. Um, but he's saying, be filled with God's Spirit. That's the command. How can I walk wisely in this evil age? How can you look at the evil around us and, 
and live to the glory of God. First of all, making the best use of your time to the glory of God. Secondly, asking him by knowing what his will is and following his will. And thirdly, by being filled with his Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Are you filled with the Holy Spirit today? We all need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. God the Holy Spirit indwells every believer. Jesus prophesied that this would happen in John 14, 17. He says, The Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not know him, he abides with you and will be in you. And then you have this day of Pentecost where the Spirit is poured out and there is this beautiful picture. Each person has a flame of fire over their head. What did that mean? That resembled the Shekinah glory of God, that each person is now a temple of God. Our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. All of us are indwelt by the Holy Spirit if you are a Christian today. Romans 8, 9. You are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ did not belong to him. It's impossible to have a Christian who does not have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. But this is further than that. This is asking that Holy Spirit of God who, in, who lives in us to fill us. This is something we should be asking every day, repeatedly throughout the day. Dear Holy Spirit, please fill me. And I think the, the, a good word for me, at least, is that idea of control. Just as the alcohol would control someone to act differently than they normally would, the Holy Spirit fills us, right? It's like a glass of water. He fills us to capacity so that he is controlling me, so that I'm doing the will of God. I'm walking in his way because the Holy Spirit is using me. He's filling me. He's enabling me. And then his spiritual gifts are being used through me. Often this means we need to ask for his cleansing. Lord, please forgive me. Please cleanse me and may your spirit fill me. This is something that is essential for every person in every walk of life. But as we're saying, it is essential for a society. A society cannot be filled with self-control with love, with joy, with peace outside of the Holy Spirit. This is the only solution to our society. These guardrails we see placed in society to help, it's common grace. But the only way for lasting spiritual eternal change is that each individual takes upon themselves the Holy Spirit through the gospel and he, he fills them and we become godly. Because of the Holy Spirit filling us. This is the hope for our society. What would that look like? What would it look like if I was filled with the Holy Spirit? I would be speaking in what? In songs. I would be speaking in songs. It's no mystery here. It's no mystery what the filling of the Holy Spirit looks like. You say, Tim, I don't know if I've ever been filled with the Holy Spirit. Look at the rest of the text. Right, we, would be very, we should be very careful to follow the text when we're talking about the filling of the Holy Spirit. Um, there are many things that are done, and, and you read it like I've just read a Mormon book. 
uh, a book of the ladies saved out of Mormonism and, and the things that were going on in that Mormon church, they said they were filled with the Spirit. That was not the filling of the Spirit. Um, we know that. But then we need to be very careful to say, not to say something that was, was filled with the Spirit that was not, right? In each case, right? Because this is very serious. So let's see what the filling of the Spirit is. And it's the ING words. We've looked at this before, right? It's the ING words. Be filled with the Spirit. What is the result of being filled with the Spirit? What does it look like to be filled with the Spirit? You are speaking, verse 19, to one another. Speaking to one another. You are giving. What are you giving? Thanks. You are giving thanks. And the, the third ING is ING in Greek, but not in English. And you are being subject. You are subjecting to one another. This, this is the three activities of someone who is filled with the Spirit. And let me just tell you, they are supernatural. They are, they are mind-blowing activities. There are things that you cannot fake. And there are things that change a society and a church to be a blessing and not a curse. And so what are they? First of all, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. Pause that, parenthesis, next Sunday, we're going to spend a whole Sunday on that and get very practical about public worship um, and, and just really talk about how we are to do this, being filled with the Spirit, uh, as we meet Sunday by Sunday with one another. Verse 20. Okay, so... You need to be speaking hymns to one another. Number one. Right, this happens to our family too much. No, it doesn't. But there's a lot of singing going on. Number 20, uh, verse 20. Number two. Always giving thanks. Always giving thanks for what? All things. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. Let me just say, this is supernatural if you are able to do this, you are going to stick out like salt and light. There will be no hiding you. No hiding you. This is attitude. This is entirely attitude. This is the Holy Spirit's attitude in someone. The attitude of gratitude, right? This is something you can't fake. Now, certain personalities may be more prone to it than others, but you can't fake it. Because you are thanking God at all times there is a comprehensive nature for all things how is that possible because it is thanks in christ jesus to god the father this is the only way this happens god uses your voice to thank him How can Joseph be thankful that he was sold into slavery by his brothers? Because, because he was able to see that God used that suffering, years of suffering and mistreatment to save his family and the world from famine. How can Jesus thank God the Father for the cross? Not because he enjoyed it. In one sense, he enjoyed it because he enjoyed doing the will of the Father. But he knew that it was the way to you and I, salvation and to eternal glory. How can Moses thank God for 40 years, 40 years spent of his life in the wilderness watching his father-in-law's sheep? No one's seeing that. How, 
How miserable spending life that way. Well, he knew that God was later, that God was preparing him for 40 years of chasing his sheep in the wilderness. We can be thankful even for trials and difficulties when we trust our all-knowing and eternal caring father. And it may not even be in this life that you will have the millions of dollars and the fancy cars and all that. But for eternity, we will have fullness of joy. Moses, it never really turned around, right, in one sense. Uh, he, he lived without comfort the rest of his life, but he is eternally living in the presence of God. And so we thank God for the valleys because we ascend the mountaintop. And so we can always give thanks. But again, I just say that is a supernatural thing. If you are always complaining, if you're the Eeyore and everyone knows you're the Eeyore, and that may be your personality, but it's got to shift. Once you become a Christian, you, you start to see the glass half full. You start to see all that God has given you, even in the trials. He has given me, he has entrusted me with more trials than anyone else I know. Wow. God must really think much of me and his grace to enable me. This is supernatural. This is supernatural. And it may be convicting. It should be convicting to all of us. And so we all need to say, Lord, please forgive me for my grumbling. Forgive me for, and we all need to bear one another's burdens. I realize that. But, but Lord, forgive me for I have not looked at this with thanksgiving. It's not something you can fake. But by God's grace, you can ask him and he will change you. And then this last one, uh, giving thanks. And then thirdly, being submissive to one another. Wow. Um, this, is a, this is a result of someone being filled with the Spirit. And so I, I realize that he moves on and he talks about wives, be submissive to your own husbands. But you do realize that that, that is that is actually an application of this command to everybody. The command was first of all given to all of us. And then he applies it to husbands, then he applies it to wives, then he applies it to parents, then he applies it to children. It's all of Ephesians from here on is really fleshing out this spirit-filled person who is able to put his or her desires on the, on the back burner and wash other people's feet. This is servanthood. And so being filled with the Spirit means I am going to follow Jesus and wash the disciples' feet right before they betray me. This is the result of being filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm able to put my brother or sister first in the lunch line. I'm able to give up my seat for them. I'm able to give up my time. I'm able to listen to that person and, and really put myself in their shoes because I'm not thinking of just what I'm going to say to them. I'm actually trying to listen to them. I'm putting myself behind and my interests behind in the interests of others. That's a loving church. That's a spirit-filled church. And so I often say this, but it would be so important to remember every time you're coming to church, yes, we get to the gospel first thing, right? But even as you're coming you say, Lord, please fill me with your spirit. I want to be washing other people's feet today. Um, and and that, that may not mean that you're actually getting down washing their feet, but you're, you're using the word to, by God's grace, lift up other brothers and sisters. And so this is the result of spirit filling. You're speaking to one another in song. 
You're singing to God in your heart. You're giving thanks to God in the name of Jesus. And you're submitting to one another in the fear of Jesus. And so this is how society changes. When we have everyone bowing to Jesus as Lord and Savior, being filled with His Spirit to do this that we cannot do on our own as broken, fallen individuals. And then you do have school systems, politicians. You have moms and dads, right? Children who who are not putting themselves first, but who are being filled with the Spirit and serving one another. Being filled with love, joy, peace, patience. And if I could just do this real practically, I'll just apply this once because we're out of time. But the Spirit, I'm sure, is applying this in so many ways. But let's just apply it to the idea of murder. Um, You'd say, I've never thought of killing someone. Well, Jesus says anyone who's angry is guilty of murder. Right? The heart boils up in anger so fast that that's the same sin as murder. And what we need are hearts that are so changed by God that it does not even react in anger. It's easy to think of other people as the murderers, but but let's, let's not apply this first to society. Let's apply it to our own hearts. If you... If you hate someone, if there's hatred in your heart, you and I both stand condemned. We need to ask forgiveness and ask for God's spirit to fill us. Just yesterday, a well-dressed man approached me at McDonald's. I had had, I had a long day and the hours were running out as far as the things that needed to be done. And, uh, and I'm, I'm just or, a bundle, right? 350 you guys don't go to McDonald's. I know you're too good for that, but I do every once in a while. And so I'm there, and I'm ready to pay, and this guy asks me for a meal. And my heart was like, no. I had just given all my money away to someone else. And it's like, I can't. And there was some, and I said that. I said, no. And he called me a dog or something else. And, and... You, this guy probably has come up to you and he's like, I need a meal for me and my daughter. And I had to pray and ask for the Spirit to fill me. That's it. Practically speaking, every day you're going to come across throughout the day so many times where it is beyond you. It is beyond you. And so I asked the Spirit to fill me and I, I walked out. I said, okay, let's go talk to your daughter. He gave me wisdom. And we walked and walked and walked and walked. And where's your daughter? Where's your daughter? You should buy me a meal, man. I have three daughters. <laughs> uh, I told him that and uh, helped him out some. But anyway, there's just such a change when it's Tim and when it's the Spirit of God. So different. Just talking to one of our other young men here this week who, who said it's so different since he became a Christian. Whereas before, there was this lashing out of a desire for revenge when he was taken advantage of. Now it's just, it's freeing. Yeah, that's the Spirit of God. That's nothing that you and I can do in ourselves. And, and so when this happens individually, it's a blessing to the family. When it happens congregationally, it's a blessing to the church. And people come in and say, those people are so loving. 
But what happens when the Holy Spirit pours out in such a way that everyone in the community becomes a Christian, filled with the Spirit? You have a place where there's no more violence, where there is no more shooting, where there is no more taking advantage of another. And that's what we're praying for here in Queens. That's what we're praying for. That's what I ask you to plead before the Lord for. And, and if we could, uh, this is actually described, and I thought I, I thought I pasted this text in here. I guess I didn't. It's in, actually, Isaiah, Isaiah 2. I'll just read this and we'll be done. Um, now I came about in the last days. Here's another picture of the last days. Uh, that will be the case when Jesus is king of everybody's heart. In the last days, the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established. The chief of mountains will be raised above the hills and all the nations will stream to it. They're all going to church. Many people will come and say, come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord. House of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us concerning his ways. We want to follow God's paths in wisdom that we may walk in his paths. For the law will go forth from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations, will render decision for many people. They will hammer their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up sword against nation. Never again will they learn war. War will be abolished. Violence will be gone. Weapons will be gone. We'll turn all of our weapons, our knives will be made into things that we'll use for pruning. Because the hearts have changed. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would change our hearts. Um, Lord, we, we ask that you would do that uh, by, by your gospel. But Lord, we all need to be growing. None of us are perfect. We all need to be growing. And so I pray that you would point out areas in our life that each of us need to change. Be standing at the back and be happy to pray with you. If the Lord's brought something to your heart, you'd like to pray with someone in a moment, we'll all uh, sing, and Pastor Andrew will close this in prayer. But let's all respond to his message here.